Well, good morning. It is good to be in the house of the Lord, whether you are here present with us or you are tuning in online or on television in the weeks to come. We are so grateful that you are joining with us as we worship. Sundays are a very special day for not only First Pres, but for the church gathered, the church universal. There are brothers and sisters all across the globe right now, this morning, who are going to engage with the Lord as we are. And that is an incredible, incredible thing. And so we are at the point in our worship where we open up God's word. Uh, We believe the Bible is inerrant, inspired, that it is eternal. It is God's revelation of himself to us, and it gives us all that we need to know to pursue God and be in right relationship with him. And so I would invite you to grab your Bibles um, if you have one or if you have a device. If you are in your home, I would also encourage you to find a Bible and use that. We'll be continuing our series in the book of First Peter. Uh, But before we turn there, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, this morning we come upon a somewhat controversial passage. We come upon a passage that uh, kicks against our sensibilities and our modern minds. And yet, Father God, in your divine providence, in your eternal word, you knew that would occur. And so, Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit in these moments would help illuminate your word in our hearts, that it may apply to our lives. So, Father, we can serve you well as we go throughout our week, that we could show others your love by learning how to operate in this tense climate that we live in. Father, we ask now that you would give us humility. You would give us conviction. You would give us encouragement peace and understanding from your word, Lord, because you love us. And so, Father, help us to honor you well now and continue in worship. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. First Peter chapter two is where we're going to be. And if you've been with us since the beginning of January, we have undertaken a series studying this book of first Peter. It's a short letter that the apostle Peter wrote. It's five chapters long. And Peter wrote this to Christians who were living under the rule and reign of the Roman Empire. Depending on when they received this letter, they were either under the reign of Claudius or later Nero. So it was the late 50s, early 60s. Uh, and, And this is a time where persecution, political turmoil, shifting cultures, uh, people going back and forth. This is a time where things were tense. And not only tense for the empire, but tense specifically for Christians Because Christians under the Roman Empire found themselves ostracized, alienated, and increasingly persecuted as time goes on. Now, if you haven't been with us the last several weeks, I would highly encourage you to go back and listen to the last three sermons. Shelton, Claire, and Brian preached on those and did a great job of setting the context, the history, and the major themes of suffering and living godly lives in the midst of suffering. And today we're going to dive into the area that serves as a turning point in First Peter. 
You see, Peter, as you open up the letter, uh, what he has done from the first chapter into about the middle of the second chapter is he has laid a very high level theological framework for the Christians he is speaking to. Peter has reminded them of their identity, who they are. And he has spent a long time kind of harping on this. And so what I want to do today, just just so everybody's on the same page, just so you know where we're going, I'm going to lay my cards on the table here. I'm going to tell you what the point of this message is, where we're going with it, and then you're going to hear this phrase a lot. So if you take notes, if you write anything down, get ready. I'm going to give you two seconds. All right, here it is. Your purpose informs your practice. I'll say that again for you. Your purpose is going to necessarily inform your practice. Or another way to say that is your why informs your how. Here's what this means. Peter has spent a chapter and a half explaining in great detail. He employs all sorts of analogies and metaphors, and he goes into great detail explaining all that Christ has done for the believers in Rome. He goes into all of the work that was accomplished on the cross, that they had been pulled from death and into life, that their sins were forgiven, that though they were far off from God, unable to make their way back to him, God sent his son to die on the cross to bring them, the Christians, back into his family. And he doesn't stop there. He says, you are now a royal priesthood. You are beloved. You are God's, even in the verses just prior to where we'll look, you are God's special possession. Think about that for a second. Peter tells us that we are God's special possession. The scriptures say that the cattle on a thousand hills belong to God. Um, I think that would... Um, get got a pretty big tax deductible. But that's incredible to think about that. The cattle on a thousand hills belongs to God. All that there is through the expanse of the universe is held in the hands of a creator God. And he looks down on you and he says, you are my special possession. I don't know about you, but sometimes I do not believe or wrestle with, I should say, I wrestle with just how incredible Christ's work on the cross was for my life. I I tend to get in this rut where I think that God loves me, but he doesn't necessarily like me, or that I am a consistent failure or disappointment because I wrestle with the same sins that I've been wrestling with for the past several years, or I did that thing again that I said I wasn't going to do, or I made a fool of myself in the situation where I could have shared the gospel. And sometimes I have this perception, I know you don't wrestle with this, but that maybe God is frustrated with me. And yet, because of Christ, he not only loves you, he likes you. And he not only saved you from sin, but he saves you to a royal priesthood, a family, a purpose. 
And now Peter breaks into, um, after establishing that, breaks into a section where he is going to become extremely practical. Why? Because your purpose informs your practice. First Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Let's get into this. Um, dear friends, that is the Greek word agapatoi. That is a, an adjective form of agape. It means um, my favorites. It's what Shelton and Richard call me. Well, that wasn't funny. It's true. (laughs) Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Stop right there. Let's talk about that for just a second. Peter, again, spends a chapter and a half defining our purpose, defining all that Christ has done for us and that he has moved us from death into life. He has moved us from foreigners or um, enemies of God to the very family of God. Christian, you are part of the priesthood of God. You have a purpose in God's kingdom. You are commissioned and admonished to go and transform the heart of this city. Not simply and solely the paid ministers on staff. It is also your job and your calling. And it becomes incredibly practical because Peter says, here's your purpose, and it works out this way. Your purpose necessarily informs your practice. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. I don't know if any of you had a tough year last year. Um, 2020 was pretty difficult. And um, to cope with stress, and I would love some affirmation in this. I'm a stress eater. Anyone else? Okay, Jeanette, thank you. Uh, (laughs) Campbell, I see you. Um, (laughs) Delaney, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm a stress eater. And so through the course of 2020, I put on a few pounds and not not a lot, but just enough to bother me. And in my pursuit of maintaining my girlish figure for 2021, my my resolution, I thought I need to maybe lose some weight. Brian Stewart's on a keto diet. He's eating like whole grapefruits and squash and stuff. And so maybe I could do that. Um, So internally, I made a decision. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to lose five pounds. That takes discipline, doesn't it? Any of you that have ever done keto or started a 30-day fast or whatever it means, your internal resolutions result in external disciplines, correct? Or you failed your resolution, right? Yeah, you have to practice disciplines that are unnatural. The Apostle Peter is saying, if you are going to practice being in the priesthood, one, abstain from sin. Our natural proclivity as human beings is to give into and be a part of and put up very few barriers to our sins and compulsions, is it not? 
Is it not normal or natural for us to want to give in to the things that pull us, the things that tempt us? We want to be victims to our emotions. We want to fall victim to our pride. We want to say, this is what I believe and you're wrong and this is why I believe this. Or we want to make much out of our pursuits. The Apostle Peter is saying, if we're going to transform the city, if we're going to suffer well and live godly lives in the midst of this difficult time, one, abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your souls. Do the unnatural thing and pursue Christ. Do not give in to the temptations of the flesh. And then the second thing he tells us is this. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you and they will accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. Friends, this is. This is different. This is countercultural because our culture is saying um, to you and I, our culture is presenting the example to you and I and setting the bar that when you believe in something, you fight. When you believe in something, you attack the other side. You you prop your idea and ideals and your soapbox up above anything else and it becomes the most important thing and you accuse, accuse and accuse. And yet the Apostle Peter is saying, live such good lives that even though they accuse you of wrong, which they will, right? I mean, don't we see that in the news? Christians are accused of wrong all the time. Live such good lives that even when they accuse you, your behavior points to Christ. Now, here's where Peter gets extremely practical. And here's where um, Richard and Shelton, in their wisdom, decided that I would preach this week because things get controversial. So if anybody takes the fall for this, it's going to be me. Um, I would appreciate your prayers now. If not, I would appreciate your help Monday packing my office up. Um, So verse 13 says this. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Submit yourself. For the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors. So you think Felix, Pontius Pilate, others that we learn about throughout scripture um, or to the governors who are sent by him, God, to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Now, this week was a historic week. We swore in the 46th president of the United States of America on the heels of, as far as I can remember, one of the most tumultuous, intense uh, campaign and election years that I can remember. I'm young. I've only been through a few. Uh, maybe you can remember tensions being this high, but it seems that people were very much pitted against one another. People were very much almost reverting back to a form of tribalism that Mark Sayers would talk about where we pick our sides and we attack those who are not on our side. And I don't know about you, but um, watching the news was a bit discouraging. 
Our new president was sworn in on the heels of riots from both sides, lives being taken from both sides. The Capitol building was broken into. There was a man in a bison outfit. Um, needless to say, it seems like not everyone was totally pleased with the election. I think that's a fair way of putting it. And here the Apostle Peter says, submit to all authorities. Now, listen, I know submission is not a popular term. And I know that we might be thinking, well, I don't agree with him or I don't agree with him or I don't agree with this side or that side or this issue or that issue. And here's the thing. Peter is not saying agree. He is not saying align. He is not even saying put your seal of approval on it. But the role of Christians when placed under authority is to submit to that authority. Why? Because our ultimate authority is God. We submit and we follow because it's what God tells us to do. I'll be the first one to tell you I don't agree with any politicians 100%. I can't think of a single person that I agree on everything they say. I don't agree with everything Biden says. I don't agree with everything Trump says. I don't agree with everything Obama says. And in fact, I think if if you do, I would love to chat with you. But the call of Christians is not to rebel. In fact, we'll even get down into it. It's not to slander. It's not to engage in attacks and ad hominem debates. The call of Christians, if we really want to be countercultural, if we really want to stand out, if we really want to transform the heart of the city, it's to submit with humility and it's to serve in love. And friends, that's radical. That is a radical call on our life because it goes against everything that most of us want to do. It goes against everything most of us want to stand up for. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Um, Working with the demographic I serve, there's a lot of times where students and college kids will come up to me and say, how do I know God's will for my life? Uh, I feel like God wants me to go in this direction or that direction. How do I get clarity? And while I think and believe that God does have desires for how we should serve and what professions we go into, the underlying current of that is God's will is that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. I told you God's word is eternal, right? It's timely. It's timeless, which makes it timely because Peter wrote this before Facebook. Here's the thing. Um, there's plenty of foolish people that say a lot of foolish things, right? A couple nods. And those foolish people tend to be pretty loud, right? And what happens when you confront a foolish person? Do they, do they become quiet? No. No, they tend to speak louder, right? They tend to speak louder. Um, Kate Fagan, who's on staff here, recommended an incredible documentary on Netflix called The Social Dilemma. I don't know if you guys have watched that. After watching it, I immediately went to Facebook and deactivated my account. 
It's amazing how polarizing social media has become. And in this election year, with this cycle, uh, it's amazing how polarizing in a political sense that Facebook and Instagram has become. I logged back on today for about 10 minutes. Um, And in those 10 minutes, as I'm scrolling through my news feed, I see at least five, um, I guess, posts with over 20 comments going back and forth, back and forth about um, either things that Biden has done or things that Trump has done. And my thought at the end of that is, who, whose position has changed? What was the point of all of this? Because some of them even broke down into calling people names, fool, idiot, just attacking an individual. Are we, as Christians, called to pull people to the left or to the right. And what I want to argue with you is that we're called to pull people up. That it's not left or right that my job is to convince you that my political beliefs are the right ones or my belief on this social issue is the correct one. My job, my calling, my purpose and yours is that we reach into death because of Christ and pull people out of that. Are we leveraging our platforms for the purpose of the gospel or the purposes that we just like to dabble in? Are we using the amount of followers that we have on social media for good or just for being cantankerous and trying to win silly little likes and points? It's vanity. It's foolishness. And the Apostle Peter says, It is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. We have this saying, uh, my mom used to say this to me, your actions do what? Speak louder than words. All right, we're awake today at the 830. Thank you, BJ. Your actions speak louder than words. I don't know many people who have ever convinced me to change my opinion based on yelling at me or calling me foolish or saying I need to read more. In fact, the most influential men and women in my life and probably yours are the ones that took me out to lunch, asked about my life, cared about me, showed they loved me, earned trust. And then through the course of gentle conversation, after gaining rapport and building relationship, confronted me gently, with love and made the biggest, most impactful difference in my life and probably yours. They didn't yell at me on Facebook. And they silenced my foolish talk with living such godly lives and taking the time to form mentoring relationships that it changed me forever. First Presbyterian um, Our call as a church is to transform the heart of this city. And that transformation is not going to take place if we point fingers and blame and ridicule and call people snowflakes or whatever it might be. That transformation is going to take place by spending time in the city by pouring into local businesses, by getting to know your barista's name, by not using, I used this example a year ago, not using self-checkout and actually waiting in the lane and talking to the cashier 
investing in people. Transformation is a slow and steady change that takes effort on all of our parts. Peter says this, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover up for evil. I love freedom. I love the United States of America. God bless this country. He has and he continues to. Um, Christ has set us free. In fact, all throughout the scripture, it says for freedom, you have been set free or where the Holy Spirit sets you free. You're free indeed. Um, God loves freedom. In fact, before he gives the Ten Commandments, he grounds his identity in freedom. I, the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt. He loves freedom. And we as Christians are free to take part in peaceful protests. We are free to express our opinions. We are free to take stands against things. And that's good. And it's right. We should stand for Christian values and we should support Christian ideals. And then he says, but do not use your freedom as a cover up for evil. When those protests turn violent. When those stands turn to attacks. When it goes from a peaceful march or whatever it might be to breaking windows of businesses that have nothing to do with it and looting. That is where we are participating in evil. Because the culture is in turmoil right now. If if you look out, our culture is in turmoil. We have um, generational wars going on. Boomers and millennials and Gen Z and Gen X and nobody can speak to anyone else. We have racial injustice taking place where we can't speak to them. They can't speak to us. People are um, tense right now. We have political divide where there's Republicans and Democrats and we don't want to speak to one another. We have division everywhere. You know what's going to be really countercultural? You know what's going to be really life changing for people? Serving. Listening, being slow to speak and quick to listen, engaging with one another and saying, hey, I I might disagree on that topic, but I can understand where you're coming from. And I want to serve you well. Help me to understand that better. Then he gets into verse 18. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourself to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you as an example that you should follow in his steps. Um, when we think slavery because of the horrific past of slavery in our nation, we think chattel slavery. Uh, we think slavery that goes around, along racial lines. That is not what Paul is referring to here. Um, the Roman war, or Peter, I'm sorry. The Roman Empire at the time of Peter's writing was about 50% slaves. And there were three categories of slaves. You had prisoners of war. Um, So Rome would go and overtake another nation. They would absorb those people in and they would become slaves. Um, They also had people who were indebted in some way. So um, think of a tradesman who is learning a trade. Um, So you would come and you would spend, say, four years in this person's home learning this thing. Those were considered slaves. Okay, you that's similar to indentured servitude. Uh, And then you had prisoners. 
people who committed a crime against you. And because there weren't just prisons all over the place, um, they would come and work for you to pay back the the penalty. Peter is not here saying slavery is a good thing. Okay, let's just get that out there. In fact, it was Christian theology and ethics throughout history that championed freedom, that championed the freeing of people who were oppressed and downtrodden. Peter is a realist. He is saying you currently find yourself in this situation, and so here's how you live a godly life in the midst of it. He's not saying this is good. Please don't hear that. Okay, please don't hear Peter saying, well, he said slavery, so it's okay. Peter is clear that this is not a good thing. But he's saying this is where you find yourself. Submit to your masters is what he says. Submit to your masters in reverent fear of God. Submit yourself not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. And whatever situation you find yourself in today, wherever you find yourself, maybe you're in a job. Maybe you're in a job where your boss is just cruel. Your boss is calling you late at night, asking for reports or um, slanders you at work or discourages you and makes no compromises. Or maybe your boss is fantastic. Maybe you find yourself in a position that you um, can't necessarily get out of right now. And so how do you live in the meantime? How do you glorify God in the meantime? And it's not by taking up arms and trying to overthrow. It's not in slandering or getting on Facebook and venting. But if we are part of God's priesthood, it seems that victory comes through submission. In the upside down economy of God, victory comes by service, by placing ourselves lower than, by understanding that God is our ultimate authority. And if he has placed us in this position until that changes, I am going to live for him. Until I am free, until I do not have that boss anymore, I am going to do what's right, even if it's hard, even if it goes against my sensibilities, even if I have to struggle and keep going to my pastor to talk about it. I'm going to submit because it's what God wants me to do. That's hard to hear. Sometimes Shelton and I hypothetically disagree on things. And he's wrong. It's the old adage that two ministers were talking and one says, it's okay, we both serve God. Um, You serve him in your way and I serve him in his. And, And that's how I feel sometimes. But ultimately, he is my boss. And Richard is my boss. And if they tell me to do something, I'm going to do it. Why? Because my boss is God. And you and I are his priests. And we have been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. Greenville, South Carolina needs you. It needs you because you're part of the family of God. And for there to be transformation, it's going to look countercultural. It's going to look different. It's not going to look like arguments and grandstanding. It's going to look like humble service. Earning the trust of people who do not know God. 
serving those people and loving them well, even in the midst of disagreement and pointing them to Christ. Friends, let's pray. Father, it's uh, difficult to talk about these specifics with everything going on in this world. And Lord, it's difficult to wrestle with specifics that go against our sensibilities. Um, Lord, we are a people who love freedom and, and the thought of submitting is difficult. We want those who report to us to submit, but we don't want to submit to those we report to. And yet, Father God, in your kingdom, it seems that victory comes through submission. Peter later goes on to say that you, Jesus, submitted. And that earned our salvation through your work. And so, Lord, we pray that today you would give us insight into how to live godly lives in this culture. We thank you for your wisdom, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.